23. I'm going to watch this clock really carefully so we have a little bit of time to pray as a church this evening for the Easter outreach. So glad to see you here tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, more of a teaching lesson tonight, but I pray that you'll grasp it and kind of catch our heart for some things we're trying to do a little bit better in terms of our ministry. If you're involved in the discipleship ministry, I have a meeting coming up very soon. I'm going to ask everyone involved in discipleship to meet with for about an hour or two hours on just some, some changes we're going to make. Some of you might be interested in getting involved, and I'd like to get you oriented about what the discipleship ministry is all about. And some of what we'll talk about this evening, we'll kind of touch that tonight. Now look around you. If your neighbor doesn't have a King James Version Bible, please share your Bible with them. Make sure that they're right on the same page with us, same verses, and uh, we're just praying for God to work in the service. Verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Now, I want you to notice that four times in, in verses 1 to 8, we find the phrase, your faith mentioned. I want you to underline that, okay? So Paul talks about here, I sent Timotheus to you to establish and to comfort you concerning your faith. Verse 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. Paul's talking about the afflictions he was going through. That no man should be moved or frightened frightened or scared or, or, or uh, intimidated by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. But now, when Timotheus came from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our afflictions and distress by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Now, Father, tonight we are thankful for the reading of the Scriptures. And if all we did was sing and read the Scriptures, Lord, we've had a blessing already. But tonight as we, we attempt, Lord, to open up the Word of God, we pray that you'd feed souls. We pray that you'd exhort us. We pray that you'd do like Paul told Timothy, to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And uh, the Bible says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but heap themselves teachers having itching ears. And Father, tonight we pray that you'd help us to have disciplined ears. We pray you'll help us to have listening ears to be quick to hear and slow to speak. We pray, Father God, that you tenderize our hearts and soften us and to help us realize tonight that Everything about this passage speaks to every person in this room, and uh, I pray it would burden us and concern us, and I pray even break us about some areas where perhaps, maybe perhaps we just have not really given thought to. We pray you grow us in the faith. I pray for those watching by live stream that the message would be understandable and that we'd have no disruptions, interferences, Lord, as electronically as it's being transmitted through the internet. And tonight, Lord, we pray that you do something that would change our lives. We look back here on this 17th day of April that it was a life transformational day. Pray for those who are sick and ill that you touch your bodies. We pray for those traveling on vacation and elsewise. We pray, God, that you would protect them and bless their faith and encourage them. I pray for our faith tonight. Paul four times talked about the faith of these believers at Thessalonica. And I pray for our faith tonight, that, God, we be concerned about our faith and the faith of the person next to us and the faith of those, Lord, who we interact and rub shoulders with. And, God, I pray that we take concern that our faith should be growing and our faith, Lord, should be closer to God and our faith should be taking risks and our faith, Lord, should be expanding, God, in prayer and Bible reading. So help us tonight to consider our faith, and we'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Tonight we're looking at a very exciting passage of scripture that frankly I don't think gets enough attention. In 1 Thessalonians 3 verses 1 to 8 we see Paul's heart for the discipleship ministry that he had for the believers at Thessalonica. Now you might bear in mind if, you've been, if you haven't been here for all the studies we've done in 1 Thessalonians that Paul had a very unconventional ministry. This was the very first letter that he wrote to the church, at the, a very first letter he wrote to all the churches. It was the first one he wrote. He wrote this from Corinth. And uh, Paul was just kind of just sitting back there for a minute. He was there in Corinth for about 18 months. And God put on his heart to write to these Thessalonian believers. They'd sent a love offering to him. And, and he got a good report from Timothy's, we'll see here. But Paul was concerned about their faith. He was concerned about them growing. And one of the marks and signs of a healthy church is that a healthy church, we should be concerned about each other's spiritual growth. Uh, I spend the week thinking and praying about the spiritual growth of our members and thinking about what God can do and what God wants to do in our hearts. You should be concerned for your faith. You should be concerned about the faith of those with you. If you have any involvement to any degree of any spiritual ministry, you should be concerned about the faith of those you serve with. You should be concerned about the faith of your children. Children should be concerned about the faith of your parents. I mean, we have just people on different spectrums of spiritual maturity and spiritual progress that we're very concerned about. So tonight we see this in Paul's life. Now, the discipleship ministry, I don't know if this is in your notes, but I'm going to give you some definitions, a lot of notes and definitions tonight. The discipleship ministries where believers are grounded in the faith and learn to live a life that is fruitful and pleasing to God. The discipleship ministry is a place where believers are grounded and rooted in the faith and learn to live a life that is fruitful and pleasing to God. Now, I'm thankful tonight we have maybe about I don't know, about 75, maybe 80 people that are involved somewhere during the week in discipleship. And we're hoping there's another 30 to 50. We hope to get enrolled. If you're not enrolled, you need to be there. It's kind of that's the starting point. Uh, the discipleship ministry helps get you grounded about God's Word. If nothing else, it helps a lot of new believers try to find the books of the Bible. That's kind of my fun part, just watching people try to find the books of the Bible and, and watching as they mature that and they can find it. But it's learning the books of the Bible, being able to ask questions. I stopped at a class, one of our classes tonight, and I stopped in there for a minute. I just, hey, you guys got any questions? And they said, we do. And so uh, we spent about five to ten minutes just answering some questions that to me, I thought I'd preached on many times before, but it was just very, you know, it's just appropriate time where these questions are front on their mind. It was part of their study and uh, they, they, they got their questions answered, had better understanding terminology in the Bible and so forth like that. Now tonight, as I said, our, one of our key phrases in verses one to eight is the two words, your faith. Now believe it or not, God is concerned about your faith. The church is concerned about your faith. The pastor is concerned about your faith. There's a lot of things we need to be concerned about, but the most important thing we need to be concerned about is your faith. And notice it's mentioned in verses 2, verses 5, verses 6, and verses 7. Tonight we're going to see the fundamentals of a local church discipleship ministry. Discipling should be, in the, should be a part of a church ministry. Now I've heard pa Baptist pastors get up who slam discipleship ministries and, and uh, have, have some problems with it because they, they, they root it to the, to the new evangelicals and so forth like that. But the truth of the matter is that discipling is in the Bible. The word disciples in the Bible. We're going to see it here tonight. And we're going to see here in chapter 3 verses 1 to 8 some principles about that that will help us. So tonight I want you to see the heart of God. The heart of a Baptist pastor, the Apostle Paul there, for the making of a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want you to see four things very quickly tonight. Number one, I want you to consider the priority of discipleship. The priority of discipleship. Look at verses one and two, please. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we could, he's, in other words, he's saying, when we could no longer keep it a secret, when we could no longer hold it back, he was in, he was in Athens at this moment of time. He said, we, he was talking about when he was in Athens. He says, wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, he was in Athens waiting for Timothy and Silas to show up. Paul was by himself. He said, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. 
No, there's sometimes in ministry you're going to be by yourself. There's sometimes in ministry being by yourself, it gets to be lonely. And sometimes when you're by yourself, it takes a lot of inertia, a lot of courage to get up and going and doing something. You know, we all like to have a partner with us, but Paul didn't have that luxury in those early days of the gospel ministry. Thank God he had a team, but because of the afflictions he talks about here, the team was somewhat uh, broken up, if you would. They were disconnected in the sense that, uh, that half the team, more than just himself was down in Athens, the rest of the team was between Thessalonica and Berea. And so he said in verse 2, when he said, I thought it good to be left at Athens alone. You've got to go back to, uh, to Acts 17 to read that. He said in verse 2, And I sent Timotheus, our brother, our minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Now, Paul is talking about here his heart, his concern, his burden, for the growing of the disciples at, the, uh, at Thessalonica. Remember, we go back to Acts chapter 17. Paul was not there for a very long duration of time. The Bible tells us he preached the gospel for three Sabbath days, and then he started to see results, and he saw there was a great number of Gentiles that got saved, and some of the chief women and a few Jews got saved. But as people got saved, a ruckus started to happen. The Jews down there did not appreciate his message. The Jews were upset that he was coming to the synagogue and uh, preaching the gospel there, and so the Jews stirred of turmoil and, and evilly affected the hearts of the, the, the Gentiles against Paul. And so we don't know. Paul may have stayed there four weeks. We don't know if he stayed there six weeks. He wasn't there very long. He, the brethren sent him away. In fact, the description that short period of time was that these that have turned the world upside down have come here also. They'd heard of what happened at Philippi. They'd heard what happened at Antioch of Pisidia. They'd heard what happened on the island of Cyprus. They'd heard what happened at Iconium. They'd heard what happened at Lystra and Derby. They heard about all those things. They heard what happened there at Jerusalem and Samaria. I mean, word was all over the place. The, the gospel message was spreading. There was, a, there was an evangelism fire that God was doing. And, you know, Paul at that time, they just knew him that he was once a persecutor of the Christians, and now he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul had to leave there, and he went to Berea. It was there a short time. God gave him a fruitful ministry that short time there, and uh, souls were saved, and these people committed themselves to studying the word of God. One of these days, we'll study about the Berean church there. And, uh, but again, the Jews started trouble for him. He had to go down from Berea down to Athens, and there at Athens is where we find this occasion here. Well, Paul couldn't take it. Inside of him, he's thinking, these are new believers. He said, they, 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 we just got a church started. I believe the church was meeting in the house of Jason after the Gentile or the Jews kind of stirred, stirred some things up and got the Thessalonians stirred up. We're not really sure if they continue meeting there, but we do know that there were believers there because how would they know that there were believers? How did they know Jason was a believer had it not been for the fact that they were meeting there? And so they were going there and, and disrupting things. And so Paul now is down in Athens. He's concerned what's going on. And notice verse 2. He says, I had to find out what's going on. So before he had Timothy come down to join him down there at Athens, you remember in Athens it says uh, what, that before they came down his, that Paul's heart was stirred when he saw the city of Athens wholly given to idolatry. So before Timothy came down, and Timothy really didn't catch up with him until he got to Corinth. Read about that in Acts 18. But in verse 2 it says, during that time he told Timothy to go back from Berea over back to Thessalonica. So he told him, don't, don't leave Berea, come down to me. I want you to go back to Thessalonica. And he sent him there, and he talked about Timothy's qualifications. And he said, I sent him there to establish you and to comfort you in the faith. Now I want you to see some things about this priority of discipleship. Paul is, is giving us some insight here about the priority of discipleship. Notice, first of all, the imperative in discipleship. Now discipleship is the next step after salvation. Now as we think about the progress path that we take a believer on, you should be telling someone that gets saved, Hey, the next step, the next thing, 
Okay? It doesn't stop at salvation. Amen? Salvation continues on. We want them to taste and see that the Lord is good. We want them to understand the fruits of salvation. So they need to know the next step. The command we have been given in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, is that discipling is, is, to be, is right alongside of winning souls to Christ. I put in my notes here, the command to disciple is inseparable from the command to witness and win souls. We're not just to win souls and run off and leave the work to somebody else. All of us have to be under the realization that Matthew 28, 19 to 20 is a command of God from the Lord Jesus Christ to every believer. So notice if you go back with me to Matthew 28, 19 to 20, as we break that down for a moment. Paul, Jesus said this, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Now we have to look, encompassing this from verses 18 to, to 20, that there was a, they were on top of a hill, there was a service going on, Jesus was the pastor of that, that, of that service, this is the local church that's meeting there, they worship the Lord Jesus Christ, we're told in verse 17, and then verse 18, Jesus said all power is given to me in heaven and earth and then verse 19 he gives them the command with that power he says you are to go and teach now if you've not studied this look at the word teach again the word teach is an all-encompassing word it's the word methedes which we get our word disciple from it means to make a disciple of and so the so the so winning process doesn't stop at just presenting the gospel and leading people to christ this saturday and sunday saturday in the morning saturday in the evening sunday the night in the evening we we're going to be preaching the gospel, but our next step is to get these people that get saved if, uh, on, those, on those occasions to enroll in a discipleship class. We want to get them started and growing in the faith. We had people saved last week. Our next goal is to get them enrolled in a discipling class. Look at the word teach. The word teach implies a full rounded process. It means you're not only to get them saved, but you're to get them into the word of God so they understand these. Now, as we do that, notice the authority given to the local church. In verse 19, the local church has been vested with the authority of baptizing. Baptizing, baptism is the gateway into the local New Testament church. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. So our goal is as they get saved, immediately we're to get them to, to realize their need for to, the testifying of their baptism. Baptism is the answer of a good conscience before God. Baptism is a sign that, they, they, that, that, that the Spirit indwells them. Baptism is a sign they identify Jesus Christ in, in his burial, in his death, his resurrection. And so they get baptized in the local church, and then they continue in the church. They're not just to get, to get in the church, get, get in the church, get saved, and never show up again. He says, then from there, in verse 20, you continue to teach them. Now, the word teaching there means there, the, the word didascus, which call, talks about the fact they're sitting under the preaching of God's word. They're sitting in Bible studies. They're sitting in a classroom environment. They're sitting in one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Teaching them, notice, to observe. Now, the word observe is important. It means, as we'll see in the study tonight, they're to learn to obey God. Part of discipling is not just filling in blanks. Say yes, amen, okay? They're not there just to just get fill in blanks and get a workbook and they've completed the task. No, they are to learn both the holiness and the habits of discipling. Discipling is to, is to get a hold of their heart and to help them to realize that there are things about the Christian faith that are essential to them, but secondly, they're to learn to obey Jesus Christ. Now, part of that means as a discipler, you've got to be obeying Jesus Christ. As a discipler, you've got to be living for God. As a discipler, you can't teach one thing from the Bible and you live something 
separate. So he says they're teaching them they're of all things. He said, what do I have commanded you? Jesus said, you don't leave anything out. He said, everything I've given to you, that's what you're passing on. Now, you'll watch this. As we get to Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about apostolic doctrine, apostolic teaching. There's nothing scary about that. Apostolic doctrine teaching there in Acts chapter 2 is what Jesus gave the apostles. The apostles have gave, gave to the ones that they taught, and it's been handed down to us. Listen, the doctrines that Jesus Christ gave are the same doctrines we're teaching today. Amen? There's nothing different about that. There's not something evolving or happening here. I was reading a book this, this afternoon for a minute or two, and just catching some reading, and, and uh, the guy was talking about there's some revelations that are still being revealed right now. I believe God has given us everything we need from his word. I don't think he's kept something secret for 2,000 years, amen? I think it's all here, and you just got to be careful that if you're reading other books, that's good, but be able to spit the bones out while you eat the fish, amen? And you need to discern that, have a discerning mind. Be careful of all Protestant literature, because all Protestant literature always has something behind it that has an undermining agenda. They're always trying to promote some different newfangled doctrine. you got to be very careful today, and you'll hear me say more about this. you got to be careful today of the hyper-grace movement that's being led by the Gospel Coalition. You see anything about that? The Gospel Coalition basically is Calvinism uh, uh, covered under a different facade. And uh, they're, it's covenant theology and things of that nature, which is against what we preach and teach. And covenant theology, which believes in a uh, covenant of works and covenant of grace, basically is not, is not in the Bible. They try to make it fit in the Bible. You don't even find the term there. Now, the word covenant is in the Bible. We know their covenants got established. But what they established here is basically a way of get, just advancing reform theology. The Reformed theology is a way of basically saying that God has appointed some men to go to hell and God has appointed some men to go to heaven. We don't believe that. We're not Reformed theologists. We are Baptists. Amen? We are Biblicists. So we don't hold that kind of stuff there. And you'll, you'll see this as we get into some of these studies here. But notice here tonight, Paul is telling us here, the, uh, we see here the imperative of discipleship ministry. Discipleship ministry is the development of a believer. Now, let me give you some thoughts here tonight. First, dis- teaching implies learning the doctrines, the duty the disciplines, and the devotion of the Christian life. Now, discipling, here's our challenge. Discipling in a pure Bible sense means time with a believer. There's more to it than teaching a lesson. They've got to see Christianity in action. They've got to see us when we're suffering and how we react to that or respond to it. They need to see us winning souls. They need to see us having concern for others. They need to see outreach. They need to see service. They need to see fervency for God. Those of you tonight who are in our discipleship classes, I want you to go beyond just listening to your discipler facilitator as they're guiding you through the lesson and help you find the right answers and and help you understand the verses. That's all good. But you need to take what you're learning and not sit there and soak on it. You need to decide to put some of that into action. All of you in discipleship ought to be making a decision. You ought to be involved in soul winning. That goes together. Soul winning is part of experience expression of your faith. It's, it's, it's living out your faith for Jesus Christ. You should make a goal that even before Saturday comes up, you're going to invite a few more people to the Easter musical, and you're going to make a few more phone calls to tell people about the Lord. You should be lining up names, and you're going to say, Pastor, Mrs. Fong, would you go with me, help me to get the gospel to my family, my relatives there, and things of that nature there. So if we would, teaching is, is learning the doctrines, the duty, the disciplines, the devotion of the Christian life. Now, teaching could be in a classroom environment. Teaching could be one-on-one. Teaching means that we, we are, we're helping someone to learn how to do their devotions. Now, if you're in discipleship, I'm going to give you a project this week. If you have not learned how to have devotions, I want you to go see your disciple. Come see me. I want to teach you how to have devotions. You need to learn how to read your Bible daily, how to get something out of it, how to journal, how to pray, how to have a prayer list, how to get answers from God, how to see God do things like that. You need to learn those things. They ought to be burning your heart. When you come to that discipleship class, you ought to be burning your heart. I've completed a lesson plan, but I've also got a journal to show I've been 
in my Bible. I've been reading. I've got some prayer requests. I've seen God answer some prayers. My heart's burdened. I've got some people in my heart I want to see brought to Christ. I mean, it's just basically doing that. Uh, teaching is mentoring the new believer how to live for God, how to have a walk in the Spirit, how to, how to pray fervently. Teaching is an important aspect in learning obedience. Listen to this. Jerry Bridges, who wrote a book on holiness, had, had this thought to say. The level of our obedience is most often determined by the behavior standard of other Christians around us. That's a great thought. The level of our obedience is most often determined by the behavior standard of other Christians around us. Now, you know the phrase, raising the bar. If the bar is right here, if that's the level of obedience around, around you, and you're not changing, you need to go where the bar is a little bit higher. Amen? Amen? You need to go with the bars a little bit higher because, because I'm going to tell you as a discipler, you're not there to be buddy-buddy with them and condescend down on a fleshly level. Your goal as a discipler is to get them up to a level where they're trying to get closer to Jesus. And by the way, they're not going to get closer to Jesus until you get closer to Jesus. And so we see here the importance of learning obedience in the Lord. Teaching is helping the new believer to develop the right habits in Christian living. Now, learning new habits can be really tough, okay? Especially you get, when you get to be a little older, it's like the old saying goes, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. However, I'm of the belief that you might be an old dog, but you better learn some new tricks. Amen? And it's good to learn those things. And so listen to this here. I want to give you some thoughts here tonight. One man said this, men do not decide their future. They decide their habits, and their habits decide their future. You think about that tonight. Uh, Horace Bushnell said this, habits are to the soul what the veins and arteries are to the blood, the courses to which it moves. I think tonight we need to consider the imperative. Quickly tonight, notice the impact in discipleship. We're talking about the priority in discipleship. There's the imperative. Notice in verse 2 the impact. Paul said two things he wanted Timothy to tell him. He said, Timothy, I'm going to send you back to Thessalonica. They were more concerned about Paul and, Paul and Silas than they were about Timothy. Timothy, if you would, could kind of just uh, kind of get, just get, could be lost and could just you know, immerse himself in the crowd. They wouldn't see him there. And so he sends Timothy there and he says, Timothy, there's two things I want you to do. In verse 2, he says, I want, I want you to go there to establish them and to comfort them concerning their faith. Now, I want, to, I want to dwell on that thought for a minute there. Now, to establish and to comfort means to impact someone. To impact means to have a direct and powerful effect on someone or something. It means to have a direct and powerful impact on them. Listen to this. Plant a word in the mind and you will reap an act. Plant the act and you will reap a habit. Plant a habit, and you'll reap a character. Plant a character, and you'll reap a nature. Plant a nature, and you will reap a destiny. Now, notice this matter of establishing. Establishing is getting a believer rooted and grounded. Those of you who have green thumbs, those of you who spend time in the garden, you understand that very well. It's getting, you got to prepare the soil. You need good soil, and you want those roots to go deep. If you don't prepare the soil, it's not going to be good. That's why Jesus gave us the parable of the sower in Matthew 13 and the other gospels so we'd understand it. People in that day and age, they understood that. If you don't have good soil, you're not going to get deep, good root. If, you don't, if, you don't, if you're not careful what's growing up alongside of it or where you cast the seed, it won't have deep root. You want good root there. Establishing is getting them rooted. Now listen to what Paul said in Acts 14, 21 to 22. Listen to that with me, with me, please. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium, and to Antioch. Now, Paul had a burden. 
There were these believers there that he was concerned they needed to be grounded in the faith. And so he went back there to make sure they were grounded in the faith. He went back over again. Now, I'm of the belief it's okay that it's okay to teach the same doctrines every now and then. I'm of the belief it's okay to be preaching through the same books of the Bible. I'm not like some guys who think I preached in the book of James once, so I'm not going to preach it again. And after they preach, if they even get through all 66 books, I'm not supposed to preach that. I don't believe that. I think God's Word needs to be retaught. I think God's Word needs to be reread. I think we need to spend our time in that. And so he went back there and he wanted to disciple them. Notice verse 22, very important for part of the discipling. Confirming the souls of the disciples. Getting them rooted. Getting them grounded. Making sure they understood. Making sure they could answer what they say. Hey, in Bible college they have what's called the orals. Oral exams, they're coming up for some of the Bible colleges right now. And what they do in that, in that setting is they, they give a listing of the topics and they tell the man, I want you to be ready to articulate your faith. I want you to tell me what you believe. Listen, that, that's what discipling is, confirming the soul. It's making sure the person's not just getting it here. They're able to articulate, tell you what they believe. You want to make sure they grasp it. Hey, there's just some terms in the Christian faith that are a little bit new to people, a little bit hard to understand, and we need to break it down to so understand it. By the same token, we don't break it down by changing our Bible version, and we don't break it down by using paraphrase version. We give them the words. We help them understand it to help them understand. Those are good words that are part of our Christian vocab- or Bible vocabulary that they need to adapt there. So he says here in verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue the faith. So number one, you get him grounded. Number two, keep on going. That word continues, keep on going. The word continue is the same word found in John 15 and in 2 Timothy 3.15. It's the word that means to abide. It means to continue. It's to get rooted in Jesus Christ. But you continue where you started. Listen, if you have a good start, you're going to have a good finish. You have a good start and you keep going the same way, you have a good finish. You won't deviate from things. You won't have a shipwrecked faith. And he says here to continue the faith. And notice he made the statement and that we must, through much tribulation, enter to the kingdom of God. Now watch this. Paul talks about his affliction because he's going to tell every believer he disciples through much tribulation we must enter into the kingdom of God. And that day and time, everyone went through afflictions. I'll say something about it in a minute. Everyone went through afflictions and troubles. And he just warned them. I'm going to tell you that being a Christian is not a walk in the park. Being a Christian is not an easy thing. You're going to have trials. You're going to have rejection. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to have setbacks in your life. Through much tribulation, we must enter to the kingdom of God. Notice Colossians 2 verses 6 to 7. He says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding there with thanksgiving. There's so much there I wish I had time to dwell with it, but I'm just saying today, number one, the, the, the impact is establishing. Now, if you're in discipleship, I want you to get established. Tonight, this is part of the core of the church, not all the core, but part of it. Are you rooted? Some of you young people come with your parents to church. You need to decide tonight, walk the aisle, and get rooted. Get in the Word of God. Make it go. Before this year's over, you'll read the Bible at least one time, and you're going to make questions and ask questions. Listen, you start writing down questions and asking, what does this mean? And who is this person? And what's the impact on me? And you, you search it with a hungry heart. God will do some changes in your life. So Paul said here, number one, to establish you. Number two, I want you to comfort them. Notice this here. New believers get discouraged easily. I'll be honest with you, I getting around some new Christians now, and a lot of them are very intimidated. This is very intimidated. I mean, you take the, the handouts we give to help them just fill in blanks so they have something to go back and study during the week. It's just daunting for them. To find the books of the Bible, they feel embarrassed when some, someone next to them can find it. They can't find it because they're searching the table contents. They can barely pronounce the name of the book, amen, you know. Uh, they get discouraged. They have family members that are against them. 
They have family members wondering, why are you going to church? You never went to church before. They, they get discouraged when people say, well, why don't you party with us like you used to? You don't do it anymore. They get discouraged easy. They have fears. They're intimidated by the maturity of other believers. They see some of our core believers who are actively serving God and busy stirring up the dust, and they get intimidated by that. Um, they, they, they have family pressures. They have peer pressures. Listen, all of that happens when they need to be comforted. And Paul said here, listen, I want you to establish and comfort them. Why? Because when Paul left, those same, those same Thessalonian believers, they were going through same, similar tribulations as he was going through. And so they were being persecuted for the faith. So he's concerned. Are they going backwards? Are they going to quit? Are they going to throw in the towel? What are they going to do? Dawson Trotman said this in his book, Born to Reproduce. You can lead a soul to Christ in from 20 minutes to a couple of hours. Listen. But it takes from 20 weeks to a couple years or longer to get him on the road to maturity, victorious over the sins and the recurring problems that come along. Hey, listen, Christianity, growing in the faith, is not like mashed potatoes. It's not you just add water and stir it up. That doesn't happen there. It's not like what you feed your dog, gravy tray. You add water and then you serve it. It doesn't happen like that. There's no instant Christianity. Christianity helps over a long, long period of time. W.A. Criswell said this. He wrote down before he died. He said, I've been, I've been doing expository preaching for 70 years, and I've come to realization. I haven't touched the hem of the garment. Now that's amazing if you read any of his sermons and you read how this man ex expostulated the word of God that he would say something like that. And I say the same thing about the Christian faith. You may think you've arrived, but you better have the attitude of the Apostle Paul, yet we have not arrived yet. And we have to realize that we've got a ways to go. Number one, we see the priority of discipling. Very quickly, verses three to seven. Would you notice the preclusion in discipleship? Now preclusion means a blockage or a hindrance from something occurring. Paul was precluded from doing what he felt in his heart he needed to do. We're going to look at these preclusions in verses 3 to 7. The first preclusion tonight, you want to write this down, is there were the hostile afflictions. Now, afflictions are troubles from the outside. They're tribulations. Notice in verse 3, he talks about, he talked about that, we should, we, that you, no man should be moved by these afflictions. He says, for we were appointed thereunto. By the way, this is a good thought. God has appointed as part of the Christian roadmap that we have to have afflictions. God has appointed part of the Christian roadmap that we have to have afflictions. Why? Go with me to Psalms 119 for a minute. Would you go there, please? Psalms 119. Some of you going through trials. This will help you tonight. Psalms 119. Psalms 119. Longest chapter in the Bible. You shouldn't have trouble finding it. Amen? Psalms 119. I want you to see verse 67, please. Say amen if you're there. A lot of you not there. We're going to wait. Say amen if you're there. Amen. You're still not there. Say amen if you're there. Amen. Yeah. Kwong, are you there? Yeah, man. All right, good. Verse 67. Before I was afflicted, notice what he said. I went astray. You know where God sends affliction? We get lazy. We get indolent. We get careless and negligent. So what do you say in verse 67? Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. You know what? God puts affliction in our hearts to teach us obedience. Look at verse 71. Verse 71, he says, it is good for me. By the way, that's what he's telling us. We need to give thanks. It's good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. You know what he's saying there? Not just to read the word of God. He's saying that I might learn obedience. And so we see tonight there were hostile afflictions. Paul talks about in verse 3. Notice verse 4. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 3. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation. You know what? Paul was a realist. He didn't sugarcoat his Christianity. He said, I, I want you to know what time I have with you, I'm going to have to suffer. He said, God already told me when he called me, I'm going to have to go through afflictions. I'm going to have to go through tribulations. I don't want you to be moved by those things. I don't want that to scare you. 
I don't want that to intimidate you. I don't want that to cause you to walk away from the faith. He says, I want you to stay with it. And then he said in verse 7, he said, Therefore, brethren, we are comforted over you in all our afflictions and distress. Now, these afflictions Paul was going through were many things. Number one, they were the hostile rejection of the Jews. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I have yet to meet anybody who can handle rejection. Rejection is very, very difficult. When you're rejected, it basically is like Jesus being on the cross when he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You've been abandoned. You've been deserted. Uh, he was facing rejection. Uh, there were the evil reports the Jews said about Paul. Now, all of us are different. Some of us can take criticism and move on. Others of us are very gentle in our hearts, and we can't take it very well. I think Paul had a hard time with criticism. I think he had a hard time being scorned and derided by people. I think he had a difficult time of people saying bad things about him. Some of us can just kind of shrug it off like water on a duck's back, but not Paul. Notice something else here. He was run out of Thessalonica and Berea. He was burdened his heart. He was, he was bearing the pain of not being able to be there with these people. He had a cold reception at Athens. I mean, he had all these things, and then the brethren kept sending him away for his own personal safety. I mean, these were afflictions Paul was, had. He was very bothered in his heart. He was bothered in his heart. He could never stay long enough. In any of the works he established, he could never stay there long enough to get something going because through much tribulation, he had to enter the kingdom of God. The Jews were against him. He just knew and designed his heart where he went that the Jews would be against him. I mean, there were these hostile afflictions. Hey, let me tell you tonight, you know, you, you can get saved and all of a sudden you're going through challenges and difficulties. Look at our prayer page. Rochelle Jong. The wife of one of our missionaries has had nothing but help from from the day she stepped on Guangzhou soil. Look at Dan Garlic. Dan Garlic right now is facing the trial of his life. 59 years old. He's got pancreatic cancer. It's advanced. It's moving very quickly. He needs a miracle from God. Look at Jamin Chan. 40-something. Young man, 40, 41 years of age. Been battling for two years. He's had more sleepless nights and pain and discomfort than, than we've had good, than, than, than you can imagine over the last two years trying to find the right thing. And it's a very rare cancer that there are not very many experts on. And medicine has not advanced very well in that area. What they do have is more of experimental than anything else. But they're trying whatever they can and trusting God. I mean, can you imagine this evening if that was you? How would you handle that? And what would you expect of your church family? Wouldn't you want your church family to rally around you and to and comfort you and encourage you? Amen? Don't you want to know somebody's praying for you? I mean, Paul's going through all these things. And he wasn't belly aching. He wasn't complaining. And he wasn't saying, I need your prayers. He was more concerned about them than he was of himself. Hey, Brother Garlic, uh, I was asking Justin. We had a staff meeting today. And Justin had to walk out take a phone call. I said, who called you? He said, hey, that was Brother Garlic. I said, really? I said, did you call, leave a message for me? He said, no, Brother Garlic just called me out of the blue. I said, did, 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 what are you talking about? He's just concerned for me. He called me to pray for me and tell me he was praying for me. He had a word of prayer with me. And he said, I was kind of just overwhelmed by that. He called to check on me. And you know what Brother Garlic's doing? Rather than being concerned about his problems, he's more concerned about people he knows in the faith. He's calling all his friends in the faith and calling them and being a blessing there. But you know what? That, that takes a rare Christian to do something like that. It takes a rare Christian to do something like that. That's very overwhelming. And I'm just saying tonight that as we look at this here, Paul had to deal with hostile afflictions there. Uh, Paul was concerned about the persecution pressures he would face elsewhere. And by the way, he was down there at Athens alone. You think about, you think about all the, the things going on there down there at Mars Hill. And all the idols. The inscription, that he's looking at that phrase, the unknown God. He's all by himself. You know what? He could have been concerned like, I need to leave here, but he said, I'm staying here because the Bible says his heart was stirred within him when he saw the city only given idolatry. But he's concerned about these believers. But these hostile afflictions were precluding him from going back. The brethren said, we're not going to let you come back here because you're at, you're at risk here. So there's the, the preclusions from the afflictions. But notice in verse 5, he had the preclusion from a hateful adversary. 
For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I couldn't stand it. He says, burning me up inside. I got to know how you're doing. And let me say, if you're involved in discipleship, you need to revisit on your knees tonight and tomorrow morning the people God has entrusted, I have entrusted you with, to say, God, I can't stand it. I got to know where they're at. God, I can't stand it. I want to know how they're growing. God, I need to know how they're praying. God, I need to know if they're not in sowing. I want them in sowing. They ought to be burned about that. They ought to know that you care. And he said, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I said to know your faith. He said, I can't go there, but I can send somebody that's faithful to go there. I can send somebody there to find out. And he said, I could no longer forbear. Lest, lest, so I said to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Now, the tempter is talking about Satan. Satan hates salvations. Satan hates to see new believers. Satan hates a soul in a church. Satan hates a church being on fire for God. Guess what? Guess what? You stay in a so many church long enough and you start to get cold and you don't get involved because you just think somebody else ought to do it. Listen, so many is not for the few, it's for the all. Amen. Amen. Listen, you get involved here, but listen, not just there. Satan hates so winning. Satan hates to see people grow. Satan needs to see people excited. That's why we read about these emotional hearers. That the, the, the Bible says about shallow soil and the seed doesn't take root and it grows up very quickly and represents emotional hearers. They get very excited. I get really concerned about people coming to church. They get really excited about everything going on the first two weeks there. And I've waited out to see. I'm wondering about four weeks where they're going to be at after that. Satan hates it when we try to get a believer started and become a disciple of Jesus Christ. He hates it when people start reading their Bibles. He increases the temptations. He brings back old sins. He gets involved in old things again. He, gets, he causes bitterness to come back. He causes angry feelings to come back. Here, a lot of people get saved. They come to church. Guess what? A majority of everyone who gets saved nowadays, they have family problems. They have addiction problems. They have, they have a history in their closet there. And they come. And while the word of God is being preached, how me understand tonight, the word of God touches everything. Amen. And as the preaching word of God goes on, the pastor has no idea what's going on in people's hearts at that moment of time or what their past was all about. They're, these bitter feelings come up because something said about a mother, about a father, about a brother, about a sister, son, or daughter, or grandparent, or something like that, or somebody in your ancestry, and you get all excited about that, and you get burned in your heart, and you start thinking about how somebody burned you, you start thinking about how you were cheated, you start thinking about how somebody cut you down, and all these type of things there, and instead of enjoy out of that, you leave church with an angry heart because those things came back. That's the devil working your heart. He reminds you today, when every time we have a setback, when every time something bad happens, when I tell you every time something goes to somebody's mind and somebody drops out of the church or they're, they're sporadic about something, may I remind you today, before we start criticizing everybody, would you remember this? There is a hateful adversary that's behind all of that. <coughs> the hateful adversary doesn't want you to exercise faith. He doesn't want you to live a holy life. He doesn't want you to grow in the Lord. He doesn't want, you know, there's all these goals you have, and sometimes, how do you understand this? Sometimes God turns our world upside down because it's not about our agenda, it's about his agenda, amen? He uses carnal Christians to dissuade and misdirect us. He lures them into sins that easily beset them. He intimidates them to thinking the Christian life is too hard. Maybe you're somebody here tonight thinking the Christian life's too hard. Paul was not somebody that wanted these baby, these baby believers to be stunted in their spiritual growth. He wanted them to grow. I said to know your faith. I need to know where you're at. Did I tell you my prayer request for you tonight? I want to know where your faith is. I want to know how you're growing. I want to know where you're at. 
You're having a tain, you're having a tain. We have this idea we're tain. We're far from where God wants to We're guilty of the sin of pride. We need to understand tonight. We have far from attaining. We need to understand tonight. We have a long way to go before we get to where God wants us to be. So would you notice the process of discipleship very quickly tonight? Paul said, I sent to know your faith in verse 5. He said, I could no longer forbear. I need to know. I get around pastors. I ask them, how are you doing? And the big thing with a lot of pastors, what book you're reading, that's good. But I want to know how God's speaking to you from his book. I was ridiculed. I was on a plane with another pastor several years ago, and we were, a bunch of us were flying somewhere, and he said, uh, and, I, and I, just, I just felt like that morning, just that morning, I just needed some time, just needed to hear from God. It wasn't that I didn't prepare before we got on the plane. And he said, what are you reading over there, Brother Fong? Well, that's good. How about you read this? And he put a book into my hand, which is a good book, but I said, I said preacher, I said, thank you for the book, but really, I, I, just, I just need some time with God. I need to hear from God. I need to hear from whoever this guy was over here. And frankly, I didn't need to read those about some church that failed and all the things that failed on that day. I didn't need to read that at that moment of time. Because I have a God that doesn't fail. Amen? You know? He couldn't take the suspense of knowing what was happening with these believers. I said to know your faith. Now, if you're in discipleship, don't be offended when you're asked, did you do your devotions this week? Did you pray? Nobody's being intrusive. I said to know your faith is what Paul said. Amen? Can you go witnessing? Well, I really don't believe in that. Well, you better learn to believe on it. You're being disobedient to God if you don't believe in it. I have another method. That means you got another gospel then, right? Another gospel is not acceptable according to Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. I'm saying tonight as we look at this, he said, I said to know your faith. And so I want you to consider tonight how discipleship flows real quickly here tonight. Notice tonight how Paul, Paul gave Timothy kind of a process. I'm going to tell you our process. Number one, there's a setup. Now, right now, we use, we use two books. This is the main book. The KJV Bible. Okay, this is the main book. Okay. Then we have a workbook. We use ABC's Christian Discipleship. That's a good, gets good. It's because it's baptistic and it's separatist. It gets a little rough. You get the letter S, it gets a little rough there, okay? You get, you get to where it comes from, separation stuff, it gets a little rough there, man. It gets on people that people are smoking and dancing, worldliness, all the things that you used to do and or you're not supposed to be doing there. And, and it kind of defines our Baptist, Baptist separation, draws the line there. And, and uh, I'm for all these other things, but I just like something that's a little bit strong, that's biblical there. And it's very Baptistic in its theology. Now, we're adding to that, we're adding to it, disciples, we're adding to that. It's not just to walk through. We're adding to that the trail of blood because I want them to know Baptist history. You need to know who Obadiah Holmes is. How it was beaten for the faith. You need to know what some of our Baptist forefathers do. Hey, we're adding to that uh, several books. I'm hoping to get a book printed and out, Fruit That, fruit that Remains, so we could use a sewing manual. And we need, to, we need to have it there so you understand how these mechanics work. We add these things to that so you understand how all this works there. And the ABC's Christian Disciples gives you a track, basically using the ABC's, where in 26 letters we define 26 doctrines of the, of the, of the Christian life, 26 doctrines of the Bible, 
And basically we break down so you can learn how to use that. When we get to letter D, the daily walk, we're augmenting that with uh, Pastor Van Gelderen's uh, Christ Walk Journal and how to pray an hour a day and things like that. And uh, those are things we use for that. that. That's our setup. And we want people to be in there. They need to follow. They need to do their homework beforehand. Their supervisors, letter B, notice verse 2. He said, I sent Timotheus, our brother, minister of God and fellow's labor. Now, he had some criteria for Timothy. Not just anybody can jump in discipleship. If anybody jumps in discipleship, they must embody the mind and the philosophy and the direction of the church, okay? So let me give you some things about this. He speaks about Timothy being a, a sibling, a, a brother. You can't have a lost person guide you. You can't have a Christian that just got saved guide you. That's the blind leading the blind, amen? But he said, my brother. Now, when they said brother, they, they hung out together. They had prayers together. He said, my brother and minister of God, a servant of the Lord. And I'll say something about that in a minute. He said, our fellow laborer. The word fellow laborer is also the word helper. He talks about Achille and Priscilla being my helper. It's the word synergos, where we get our word synergy from. We're like this. We're compatible. We're not competing. We're compatible. So the people should be this. Listen to me tonight. Who, who qualifies disciples and trainer? They should be people who agree 100% with the doctrine, statement, faith of Heritage Baptist Church. They need to be KJV. They need to be loyal to the preacher. Amen. They can't be Calvinistic. You can't be Pentecostal. You can't be covenant theology. I'm going to say that tonight. You can't be Reformed theology. You got to be a Biblicist. You better agree with Baptist doctrine. You say, well, this is pretty rough. Hey, hello, look outside our signage. This is a Baptist church. It's not a Presbyterian church, it's not some Yahoo church, it's not a community church. This is a Baptist church with a capital B. They should be people who are 100% loyal to the church, the pastor. Now, I'm not talking about hero worship or man worship either there. I'm talking about following the doctrines and whose faith follow the Bible says in Hebrews 13:7. They need to be so many Christians. They need to learn so many, embody that. Paul sent Timothy because he was a so many believer. Hey, go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Quickly, hurry, we've got to get going because I want you to take some time to pray tonight. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 23. Would you notice how Paul, even at Philippi, qualifies Timothy for what he did? <clears throat> now, Paul, Paul had more friends than you and me. Paul had a lot of people he could have gone to. But notice what he says in Philippians 2, which qualifies what he says here in 1 Thessalonians 3. Say amen if you're there. First, Philippians 2, verse 19. By trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you. By the way, that's a blessing when you can send somebody you can trust to somebody else. That also may be of good comfort. There it is again. When I know your state. I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who naturally care for your state. He says, I need somebody who thinks like I think, who has the same philosophy, same heart and soul. I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for you. Not only that, he says, I want the person I send to care for you like I care for you. Now, he had a lot of other men he could have sent, but Timothy said, he said, I have no other man that would naturally care for you like I would. Now, some of us need to get rid of our abrasiveness and our hardness of heart and learn to love like Jesus loved, amen? Verse 21, he said that, verse 20, 20, 20, he said that, verse 21, for all seek their own, that's important, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. Hey, the initial disciples and trainers are trained by the pastor, and those, those, those disciples and trainers, they embody the same philosophy, same heart, and they train people the same way. In 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, 
The things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same that commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We're to replicate the process. That takes us all the way back to Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20 there, what we just saw earlier. Notice, if you would, not, not just the, the supervisors, the superintendents, would you notice, let her see the setting. Now, the setting, just, it's kind of all contingent. Now, uh, we, it could be shortened, and I'm going to tell all the disciples, I've got to change, I'm going to be making fundamentally very soon here. But it could be 13 weeks, it could be 26 weeks, it could be longer. We have kinds of philosophy. We, we, we see people go through it the first time, but they really didn't get it. We don't think they really get it to the second time. Amen? You know? Bob, you remember? I took you to disciples. You went through it two or three times with me, right? Kind of clicked the second time there because Anthony was sitting next to you. Amen? You know? So that helped a little bit there, okay? There's a size. One-on-one. We like them smaller in groups. Sometimes we can't because we don't have enough help. We, have, we want you in a new member. By the way, if you're new to the church, you need to see Brother Justin about being in a new member orientation class so you get oriented what the church is all about. There needs to be sameness, men with men, ladies with ladies. Uh, i tell you what I don't want to have. I, I, I will not have a husband and wife teaching a single woman. I don't want couples with couples, except in very rare, rare situations. It's just a very dangerous situation, which I'm not going to get into tonight. But I don't want couples with couples, men with men, ladies with ladies in most cases. Women cannot teach men. That's just an absolute no. Number four, the schedule. Now, here at Heritage Baptist Church, uh, Wednesday nights are good times. We have Sunday afternoons as good times. Uh, if, if we start some new church plants, I'll be honest with you, new church plants, I might have, or extension ministries, I just might have them do it all weeknights, every weeknight. Just get after him. I told Brother Ted Mung, I said, Brother Ted, you don't have to be on a schedule. We have to replicate what we're doing on Wednesday nights. Right now in the early days of your church, as you get, somebody gets saved, I want you to find a weeknight. If you have every weeknight filled where you and Shine are discipling people, that's a good thing there. But we just, don't, don't, you know, you need to have a schedule there. Uh, we normally do in the evening. We're trying to find other times. I'm finding right now because we have a dynamic of a lot of people working swing shifts and midnight shifts, we may go to, we may go to a Monday morning discipleship. And we've got other times we do. But we, we do that at whatever times we can accommodate people there. Uh, Sunday school is a good format, except the problem with Sunday school is you don't have enough time and it's too large of a group there. Uh, we, we try to do it before Sunday evening. We may go back to that format, but that's the setup. Letter D, I want you to consider the standard. There's a standard for discipleship. Now, if you're in discipleship, this is for the student. Number one, there's preparation. Every student needs to do your homework before you come. Amen. Do your homework before you come. And come with your questions. Typical question we get in the first four weeks. When a baby dies, where does the baby go? It's a boring question for a person who doesn't know their Bible. They want to know, especially young families. What happens to the baby, okay? What happens with children that, that uh, have not mature, don't have mature brains? They want to know that. Uh, number two, participation. All students will take a section of the lesson and give their answer. All, verse, all students will be asked to look up the verses and read them out aloud. Why? First of all, it helps people who have difficulty pronouncing words. We learn to pronounce it together. We learn together, amen? That's a good thing, okay? So there's, uh, there's preparation, participation. There's punctuality. Now, if you're, not, if you're missing a lot of classes, you're not going to grow. You've got to be there. You've got to make determination. That's one of the important meetings of the week. Progress. A weekly report should be given to the pastor or the appointed director of the discipleship program. Why? Because Paul said, I sent to know your faith. Reports tell us what's going on. I need to know the state of the flock. Every now and then I'll ask Brother Justin during the week, what's going on with this? What's happening here? I'll ask one of the staff members, what's going on? I need to know where they're growing. I need to know where they're at. He said, I said to know your faith. Finally, tonight, would you notice one last thing? We see the priority. We see the preclusion. 
We see the process. Notice the product. Look at verses 6 to 8 and we're done. But Paul was encouraged. I'm glad to tell you it ends good, amen? Paul's encouraged. Notice first in verse 6, he gets a good report. But now, when Timotheus came from you unto us, that's now in Corinth. And he brought us good tidings of your faith. Now he brought an offering from the church of the Macedonia, but he brought him a good report. When he came to you unto us and brought us good tidings, notice, of your faith and charity that you have good remembrance of us, always desiring greatly to see us as well as to see you. Now there is a multiplicity of things he said there. Number one, he gave us good tidings or glad tidings about your faith and your charity. Number one, you know what? The afflictions and difficulties they're going through didn't jade them. They still love Jesus. Amen? They still love the body of Christ there. They still love what was going on. They love what God was doing. He said, I heard of your faith. I heard of your love. Now, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13. It could be, it could be that 1 Corinthians 13, this was one of the locations that was kind of the, the, kind of the, the, the launching point for writing that chapter about, about having the love of God. And we know this from 1 Pete, 2 Peter 1, that the chart, the chart of growth for the Christian life, the pinnacle is having loving like God loves there. You really have not attained until you're able to love like God loves. And that, listen, we've got to long way to go to love like God loves. Amen, you know? And it, it, just to tell you, the process of the way, God puts a lot of difficult people and things in your, in your way to see if you're going to really love like he loves. Her. And really, if we're going to love like that, we've got to be willing to pick up our cross and go all the way to the cross like Jesus did. And so you look over here, he says, I was comforted by your faith and by your love. He says, and then he said that you still remembered me. That's a blessing, amen? And he said, you'd greatly desire to see me. He says, you know, I was only there three, four, five weeks, but man, you still remember me and you want, you, you want to see me. And, and th that's a good thing. When people have a thankful spirit, that's a good thing. That shows that God has been working in their life and they're letting God work in their life. There. So we see a good report. Letter B, notice in verse 7, the glad relief. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our afflictions and distress by your faith. Hey, you know what's the best thing? I just shared this earlier about Brother Garlic, but one of the best things that can help us get past those dark moments of our life and our discouragement and when we're down is just when God, God gives us a report about somebody that's growing in the faith. And he said, we were comforted over you all in our afflictions and distress by your faith. He said, all of a sudden, my problems weren't so big because I saw what God was doing in your life. You want to get past discouragement? You've got to grow in the grace of the Lord and just say, you know what, I need to be more concerned about other people than I'm worried about myself. And then finally, notice in letter C, the godly resolve. Now, Paul said this, and we end with this. This is so good. He says, for now we live. I want to tell you what I live for. I want to tell you what drives me now while I'm down here in Corinth. I want to tell you when I'm broke without money, what helps me to live. I want, you to tell, I want to tell you what helps me to live and really enjoy the life that God has given to me when things are down and out and you're rejected and you're hurting and problems are all around you. He said, for now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. Now that's a sign of a man who's got a pastor's heart, a desire for Jesus to use him, a desire for God to work in our It's not about him. He says, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Listen, you want to bring joy to the hearts of those who mentor you or those who are trying to help you grow in the faith and take you a step further. They give you a book here and a book there and something to read and something to encourage you or just a simple thought I'm praying for you here and there or a simple greeting here and there. You need to know, for now we live if you stand fast, Lord. He said, you know what? What gives me encouragement right now? That you're steadfast. You know what helps me to get to the next level? That you're steadfast. You know what helps me to know is that you're growing in the faith. He said, that, that helps me. He said, I made a godly result. I'm not going to live in the pit of discouragement. I'm not going to live in the darkness of my discouragement. My, my difficulties, I'm going to rise above that because for now we live if you stand fast. A man was taking his family on a kind of a tour, a drive through the, down through Florida. 
Have you ever done the drive? Sometimes you'll pass these huge orchards there. Just, you know, they're known for the oranges down there. Amen? Early morning, they've been driving all night. The sun was coming up. They're looking at all these orchards. And they, they said, you know what? Let's pull off to this, this diner on the side and let's get some breakfast. Everybody said, yeah, that's a good idea, Dad. They pulled up there and got in there, got all settled in, and the waitress came and started to serve them water and took their orders. And they came to the man, and he, and he said, yeah, well, I want a couple eggs and so forth like that, and I want a tall glass of orange juice. To which the lady responded, because he was the first one in the family to ask for the orange juice. She said, sir, I hate to tell you this, but we don't, our machine broke, and I can't produce any orange juice for you. And he just kind of gave her that look like, What? And he's thinking, now this is Florida. Millions of oranges around us. In fact, when the plate came out, he says, they, they had the capability of making the juice because had, he had orange wedges on his plate as a kind of as a decoration, right, as a garnish. And he's thinking, this restaurant is inhibited from making orange juice because the machine broke. Without the machine, they can produce the juice. Now let me tell you something tonight. For some Christians, the organization of the church, having preaching services and a discipleship class, they're good and they can function when they have that. But they go two weeks and three weeks, there's no preaching, there's no church, there's no discipleship, and they're like that machine, the orange juice machine, it's broke and it can't produce the juice. We get so acclimated that we have to have an artificial means or something else, I shouldn't say preaching is artificial, but we have to have something else that's, a, that's kind of in motion to do it for us. What we need to really learn to do is what this man was saying, is we need to learn to get the juice ourselves. We need to learn how to serve ourselves. We need to learn how to get in the Bible, the Word of God. But part of getting to that place is realizing some of us have to be served and help to teach and to train and take our time and to grow them in the faith and realize we're not about academics, we're about the heart of the individual. Because Paul said as he closed off this passage, he says, for now we live if you stand fast. And I'm going to tell you tonight, what encourages me and blesses my heart more than anything else of the week is hearing the victory reports our people go through of how they're living for Christ, how they're overcoming and making it through a trial, how God's answering prayer. We had several today that my wife and I heard from members today that are going through some deep, deep valleys and just thankful to God what they're doing. And I'm saying today, we, for now we live if you stand fast, Lord. Fathers and mothers, that ought to be your desire. For now we live if you stand fast, Lord. Ought, that ought to be your desire for your children, that you want them to stand fast, Lord. That's my desire for you. If you're hanging on the edge, if you're kind of on the fence, if you've got, two, you've got one foot out and the second one's almost on the way out, get both feet back in. Decide today that you can get, you're going to grow in the faith and get rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and live for the Lord. And decide today that you're not going to be used just to be in the routine you're going to just make sure that you are working at this thing and letting God work in your life and produce a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Be a disciple that God can use. He said here, we were comforted when we knew your faith that you got established and grounded in the Lord. Get established today. Get grounded. Be steadfast in Jesus Christ. Father, today we thank you, Lord, for your word and the study tonight. And Lord, as we, we take some time right now, we just pray that you do a wonderful work in our hearts about growing in the faith. Now here's what we're going to do for invitation.